way to that today closer to you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Hey, so I get to talk about rest today. So I'm going to throw So this is John Cardona in Africa. He was tired, man. He's a good-looking guy that I had to take a picture of. He's in a hammock. It was, it was great. It was hot out, but it was great. I'm going to give you guys a quick preview of what we're going to talk about, and then we're going to move kind of quickly through a little bit more about rest. So here, if we go to the next slide, quick overview. It's in your, uh, your programs here. We're going to talk about this stuff and fill in the blanks as we go. We're going to talk about rest. Specifically, that God sets an example for rest. He wants this for us, and we need this physically, emotionally, and spiritually. All right? But God, uh, rest does not just include that. It includes joyful worship of God. It includes remembering God's work, remembering that God has promised us rest. And then we're going to talk about how can we fully Sabbath. And like always, like I told you last time, anytime I give a little talk, whatever it is, the challenge was always to me, can I work in a quick Star Wars reference? So we're going to try that again. Let's see if it works, okay? All right, so let's jump to the next slide. Thurston County. I'm going to throw this out. I, some of you know I work as an emergency medicine doctor, so medicine is near and dear to my heart. But Thurston County is a place to die. And I say that in the best of ways, okay? In the United States, Actually, probably in the world, if you are going to have an episode of either ventricular fibrillation or ventricular tachycardia, basically the heart standing still, if that were to happen to you here, you have the best chance of living through that and walking out of the hospital alive and neurologically intact than almost anywhere else in the world. King County might be a little bit better than us. And numbers skew a little bit, but as of four or five years ago, you had about a 50-50 chance of surviving that essentially fatal event. That's better than Los Angeles, that's better than New York, that's better than Detroit, uh, Chicago, anywhere else in the United States. We are good at saving lives here, all right? And the reason, if we go to the next slide, is yes, we have great bystander CPR, but we also have great professionals who do this. And they do it well for a number of different reasons. First is the immediate response. We have, like I said, we have bystanders who get on the chest and start pounding right away, whether they need to or not, great. Awesome to do that. And when you do it, you want to stay on it for about two minutes. They found the science works out that you need to, for the heart to get pumping to the rest of the body, to the brain, the lungs, all the organs, you need about two minutes of sustained CPR, okay? Good CPR, uninterrupted CPR, so you can keep it going. And uh, you've got to sustain that rate for two minutes. Does anyone know the two songs that they actually encourage you to sing while you're, or pump to yourself while you're doing CPR? Staying alive by the Gees, that's number one. That's the glass half full and or half full empty. The glass half empty. Another one by the dust by Queen. Sorry, that's dark humor, but it's true. Okay? <laughs> yes, those are the two songs. If you can sing that beat while you're doing CPR, you're doing great CPR. Uh, but you need to also have good compressions. And these are all key elements. But you know what another extraordinarily important element is? Is you have at two minutes, you have to stop, switch out. And that person who just did CPR has to rest. Because after two minutes, it's incredibly tiring to do CPR. If anyone has ever done it, and I'm not going to ask for hands, but if you've done it, you know that it is a core workout. You're sweating at the end of it, right? So if anyone decides that you make that like a Pilates workout or something, it's a great idea. TM. I just made it up right there. I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with that. But the CPR workout is incredibly hard. But it is so essential that you do all these other things for two minutes and then break. Because if you can't do it for two minutes, for longer than two minutes, or during that two minutes, 
You're actually killing that person. You are not doing what you need to do to help them to survive. So rest is incredibly important. And we rest in a number of different ways. Okay, this is a picture here of my, we'll go to the next slide, my family here. They're representing a little bit of how we rest, different ways we rest. Jack here on the far left is, uh, this is a picture of him. He and I, along with my, one of my brothers, got to go up to Alaska uh, to take pictures and video of grizzly bears, like up close. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity. Um, and this is him taking that, he's standing in the middle of a river in Alaska uh, photographing a bear, which you can't see, it's off camera. But this is a type of rest. This is rejuvenating for him. We were exhausted physically after the trip, but this was spiritually rejuvenating. But there's other types of rest. My daughter Emmy here represents in the top left, uh, top right, just hanging out, letting the mind drift, relaxing, listening to music, playing on the phone. That's another type of rest. And then, of course, there's the, the tried and true taking a nap, which my my wife, my beautiful wife, is representing down here on the on the lower corner. But all those are different types of rests. But no one can rest like this young lady right here. <laughs> this is Lucy, and Lucy, man, she can just. Raw. I don't know what it is. She like sleeps in all these awkward positions, and you know, but she can do it. She is the master of rest. It is amazing to watch her. But all living things, if they expend energy, if there's any sort of transference of energy, they need to get it back. And that's really the definition of rest right there, as far from a physical standpoint, from a scientific standpoint. All living things <laughs> need rest. Next slide. This is our this is a picture of a hydrogen atom, or as best we can get it. That is the smallest element that we can, that we uh, composes us, okay? I don't want to turn this into a physics class or a chemistry class. I know that's not what you're here for, but bear with me for a second. If we go to the next slide, the hydrogen atom here, well, this isn't a hydrogen atom, but this is just a mock representation of what atoms look like. They're composed of protons and neutrons in the, in the middle, and then surrounding them are these electrons that float at these different levels of energy called quanta, quantum shells. Electrons want to drop from the outermost one to the lowest one. Because, with, as I said here, they seek the lowest level of energy expenditure to be stable. I remember that distinctly from my chemistry class in 1999. It was <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, they seek the lowest level of energy expenditure, so they want to rest. So in essence, the pieces of our pieces of our pieces of our pieces are made to rest, literally made to rest. So is it any surprise that God early on would address what rest means to us and what it means to him? I don't think so. We're going to jump up to uh, Genesis 2 if you're going to follow along in your Bibles, but it's up here on the screen and I will read it for us. Set the stage, Genesis 1 talks about God and the creation of the universe, of the earth, of everything that's in the earth. And lead, that leads up through six days of him looking and doing these things and seeing that they're good, and it leads up to day seven. And that's where chapter two picks up. So I'm gonna read for us. Thus the heavens and all the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. I'm going to do my best Tony Stark impersonation. Jarvis, can you take away some stuff for me? <laughs> Sorry, that's it. You've got to be deaf. Come on, guys. <laughs> what I want us to focus on today is he rested. 
the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, who by definition doesn't need rest, rested. What does that look like? To me, the, the visualization I have in my mind and growing up with is that God, you know, kicked back in his godly barca lounger and grabbed whatever God drinks and wiped the sweat from his brow and said, oh, maybe the hand went down the pants a little bit. I don't know. You know what I mean? It possibly looked something like this. That's not, that's not a pretty picture right there. This is this is some good rest though. Okay, this is me. I got my snuggie on. I got my dog next to me. Everybody can see it, but I got these like compression boots because nobody told me that you get closer to fifty, your feet hurt all the time. What is that about? But I don't think this is how God rested. Okay. I think God rested a little bit closer to what uh, the Hebrew word Shabbat is. Now, Shabbat is where we get the word Sabbath. And as you know, Sabbath is talking about rest, the 24 hours of rest that God's called us to do. But the word Shabbat actually has several connotations. In one sense, it, it's, it means stop or cease. Okay? In another sense, and Mark, you correct me if I'm wrong here, it means to complete or finish. And then in the third sense over here, it talks about celebration or delightfulness, okay? And I think this is, all of these is how God wants us to rest and how God rests, all right? Uh, let's go to the next slide here. But that's not his only intention for rest. As we just read, God said he wants it to be blessed and holy. Another way of saying it is sanctified, made sacred, and set apart. God saw that there was something with what he did. He turned and just looked back and saw what he worked in and, and reveled in it. There was something really good about that. So good, in fact, that he actually has, later we'll see, commands us to do this. And it's interesting because he said that, we, that the, the day is blessed. You know what he said right before he called the seventh day blessed? He talked about mankind being blessed. He saw that it was good and blessed. Pretty much everything up to that point he had called good. I mean, if God calls you good, that's, that's, that's top notch. But he says mankind is blessed, but rest is also blessed. So he commands us, because as Jesus said, I have it on good authority, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. All right? So it's, it's, a, it's an ask of us. It's almost like, I know we call it a command, but it's almost like, did you ever read a book? or see a movie, or hear a song, and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got to tell so-and-so about that. They will love it, right? I think that's God's mindset for us. They are gonna just love this. This is phenomenal. This is fantastic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell them they have to do this. But I think like a lot of things, we tend to rebel a little bit. And so when God asks us to rest for 24 hours, maybe our, our response is, I don't know. God rested. Yeah, but I've got kids. I just I, I can't afford. God rested. My job's too tough. It's too demanding. I have to work. I guess God rested. God has something important to tell us. He is telling us that Sabbath is important. Now he may not look like this guy. He may not look like this guy. But he's trying to tell us something, that Sabbath and rest is so important to who we are and to who we are in him. 
So I, I created this, I call it the, the Sabbath pyramid. I don't know what it, the pyramid of rest, whatever you want to call it. You don't have to copy it down, but this is an idea. I like this idea because it shows that there are multiple levels of Sabbath and rest, in my opinion. Uh, we're going to talk about these, but they are kind of tiered because I think one leads into the next. And so we're going to talk a little bit about each day. And the first one we're going to talk about is probably the most common connotation of rest, and that is the idea of recovery. So if you look at recovery, well, part of rest is getting that energy back that I talked about, right? We expend energy, we give life, we need to take it back and get it back. Um, but, but this comes from God. This is not a bad thing. Yet God had a, a rhythm of creation, right? It was six beats to one. And it was a syncopated beat, six beats to one, six beats to one. It kind of has this, this mode. And what's interesting is that if you look at studies that have looked at how we work and how productive we are when we work, if we assume an eight-hour work week, is about the 50th hour of our work week, our productivity goes off. Just goes right down. Kind of like the CPR analogy, right? You can get to that point and then, no matter who you are, about 50 hours, your work productivity falls off exponentially. Now, here, if we assume an eight-hour workday, can anyone tell me what 50 divided by eight is? Just over six. Correlation? I like to think so. I think there's something there, right? That if we work for six days, we absolutely need, our bodies just absolutely need that seventh day or seventh time uh, to rest. Now, I'm going to go to the next slide here. God knows this. He, he, he knows us, he's created us, I mean, that's, that's, I want to say that's a given. What we're talking about, that's a given. So he knows that we need rest. And in fact, he says in Exodus, six days shall you do your work, uh, you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Now I'm going to pause here because in today's day and age, we don't usually use phrases like the son of your servant woman and the alien. So let's tear that apart for a second. God is speaking through Moses to a people who um, had been enslaved for 400 years, multiple generations, generations they will never, they would never even know, have been enslaved by the by the Egyptians and by Pharaoh. And that slavery was just dependent on one thing: they were there to work. Their existence was productivity driven. Rest was not a given to them. They had no existence outside of what Pharaoh and the Egyptians wanted. So this is actually radical thinking that God is introducing to them. He's saying, from the highest to the lowest, whoever it is, I want them to rest and recover. At the time, and still today, but at the time, that is, that is radical thinking. And so while it seems a little bit dated to us in the verbiage, the point here is that we all need rest, and it is so important to who we are. And it's important to our work, because believe it or not, work and rest are not enemies. They're actually, uh, I kind of think of them like um, uh, bride and groom, okay? Yin and yang, they are the they're complementary halves that make a good whole. Um, so to, to do good work, and work is so, really so important to who we are, no matter what it is, we do find some purpose in work, we need that rest. So rest does a number of things. It physically re recovers us. It also um, it helps our minds settle. There's a physical, there's, a, there's an emotional recovery that we need to have. 
I'm going to confess something to you guys. I, I told you I worked as an ER doctor. Almost every day I walk out of work, whatever, despite the day, I have some sort of emotional reset that has to happen. A lot of times it's frustration. A lot of times it's anger. I mean, I walk out thinking, I could just punch that guy, you know, or whatever it might be. Not godly thoughts. I shouldn't be confessing this, but I'm going to submit this to you all. Um, there's times when I walk out and I want to cry. There's times when I walk out and I just, like, just want to be alone. Whatever it is, there's emotions that are stirring in me that I need to reset and recover from. And the rest helps provide that. There's also a spiritual component to it, I would argue. Last time I spoke to you, I talked about the whispers of God. And I think there's, I know for myself, when I'm at work, that's one of the times when I almost never hear the word of God. Not because he's not talking to us, but because I'm drowning it out with all the other things that are occupying my mind and my time. And I'm aware of that. And even when I don't am aware of that, I sometimes fall short of that. So when I get out and I get to rest, I need to spiritually recover. I mean, there are times, guys, I'm so frustrated with having to take care of you know, someone who's drunk or whatever and getting into falls and gets in a car accident. And I'll be driving home and then someone will like race past me. And I'll think, you know what, guy? If you get in a car accident, I'm going to drive right by. I'm not even going to stop for you. I know it's kind of funny, but sad, right? And that's not a Christian mentality. That's because I need spiritual realignment and I need that rest to do it. So that's the recovery aspect. That's tier one. Tier two, I'm going to argue, is one of the most important. It's the idea of worship in our rest. And I think worship is so important because while, yes, God wants us to have rest, it's not a day off. It's not just time where we can just do nothing. He wants it to be somewhat active. And I think that begins with worship. Realigning ourselves to God. Point, our compass needs to point north to God. Okay? Um, we just sang the song, and there's no accident we did this. We just sang the song, So Will I, a hundred billion times. We didn't sing it a hundred billion times. That's part of the title. But uh, in that song, it talks about following examples. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. It's not just a song we sing, guys. That's really what, a motto we have to live by. That's what God wants us to do. He wants to follow us to follow his example. His example was set with turning back for 24 hours and engaging in this worshipful rest. John Mark Comer uh, is a, a, actually a local theologian and, and author. And he says, and I love this, this is from his book. I don't know if you can see it. It's called The, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, he says in it that the Sabbath was created and designed by God himself, and it is for us. A gift to enjoy from the creator to the creation to gratefully receive. And that's why we need the life of worship. Someone's extending an amazing gift to us. How do you receive that? Do you sit there and just kind of say, or do you look like this? <laughs> this is how I feel. If I get a good gift from somebody, this is amazing to me, right? Just that sense of, oh my gosh, they know me. They've given this to me. I'm going to share it with them. I'm going to show them how excited I am. And I think that's what God wants us to do as well. He wants us to share our excitement, our joy in Him, with Him, through worship. And that means, if we can go to the next slide, we need to be with God. But here's the problem, and I think this was said very well by... Uh, A.J. Swoboda, another, another uh, writer, he said, it's not as though we do not love God. We love God deeply. It's just that we don't know how to sit with God anymore. 
And that's the heart of worship. Worship is that opportunity to be with God and to draw closer to God. This is another picture of my son Jack on that same Alaska trip, and I took it for a reason. Because when we were on this trip, I mean, and I told you, it's, it's exhausting to be here up at the crack of dawn and going to bed when the sun sets, which in Alaska is way later than here, uh, and you're exhausted. But Jack did something I thought that was really cool here. I took a picture, and I don't think he even knew I was taking this, because we were taking pictures, you know, 14,000 pictures or something. But he just, at one point, just sat and took it in. He just sat back and said, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just enjoying everything that's here. The grass, the river, the, 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 the hills, the birds, the bears, all this kind of stuff. I'm just going to take it in. He reveled, he enjoyed in that moment. And that is what God, I think, part of what God wants us to do. I think if we can go to the next slide, God wants us to engage in this delightful worship where we get lost in what he took six days in creating, this wonderful world around us. He wants us to get lost in that. Not just nature, but everything that it provides. He wants us to explore and enjoy his work. You know, if you ever watch, if you, for those of you who have kids, you ever watch your kid discover something? Isn't that pretty amazing to see it through their eyes? I think God knows that, again, a hundred billion times is how he feels that. And when we do that, and we can enjoy God's work, we come with an attitude of awe and of gratefulness that brings us closer to God. This is a picture of uh, one of my favorite places on earth. This is uh, uh, Northeast Hood Canal, real local. Uh, this is a picture of my kids when they were little with one of my brothers, Chris. This is the beach that we would go to once a summer, once maybe twice a summer with my, my family. And we had some friends whose family owned a cabin, and they would share it with us. We'd be there for a few days. And at low tide in the morning, we would go out, and we would just go through all the little rocks and everything on the beach. We would turn over the rocks, and there'd be crabs crawling, and jellyfish, and you know, sea anemones, and all, maybe a sea cucumber or whatever. Just really cool stuff. And we would spend hours out there exploring and reveling in what we could find. And as I look back now, I think about that's the attitude that I need to have when it comes to worshipful, delightful worship with God. Because it does draw me closer to Him, and I get to enjoy everything that He saw was good and blessed. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. I love that. Taste and see. God puts it out there, man. We get to enjoy it. And when we enjoy it, we draw closer to Him. We go to the next slide. Okay, that was tier two. Tier three is not just worship. We've got to extend a little bit beyond that. It's, talk, it's thinking of remembering what God has done. And this is where it gets a little analytical, so bear with me here. God caused, called this seventh day blessed and holy, sacred and set apart. He wants us to remember this time and what this was to him. And in fact, he even says in Exodus, as he will be giving the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, set apart. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Rest for the Lord your God. He has commanded us, like we talked about earlier, it's, it's the big ask for us to do this. God doesn't ask much of us, but this is something he really wants us to do. It's a commandment with a reason. He wants us to remember all that he has done and that build up to that seventh day. But I think it extends beyond that. Let's go to the next slide. I think it also has, I like to, I call it a rebellious reflection. That as we remember, 
that God has done, we also remember that he continues to do. Moses talked about um, the Ten Commandments again in Deuteronomy a little bit later as he's kind of getting near the end of his life. And he says, he kind of reorients that initial commandment a little bit differently. So here are the words, I outlined them. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the day of Sabbath to your God. And then he, so he says, observe, right? And then he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So it's not just look back and remember what he has done, but also remember and continue to remembering, continue remembering all that he continues to do. Because as Moses is looking back, he said, not only did God create everything, but remember what he did when he brought us out of Egypt? Remember how great that was? We rebelled against the Pharaoh. Because the Pharaoh at that time was God, right, for everyone, for the rest of the world. They were tethered to a world that was broken from what God had originally designed. But in following God, they had a rebellious, uh, they had a godly rebellion. They could, that they could be with God. They got to start new with God. And that's true for today, folks. We can go to the next slide. This rebellious reflection, I don't have a Star Wars reference, there it is. This rebellious reflection is true today. Now, we don't have a pharaoh, per se, but this world is still broken. This, still, this world still wants to consume us, right? But we are no longer slaves. We left that behind because we got to rebel in God. So we look back with this rebellious attitude, but a godly rebellious attitude, where we can say, yeah, I don't need the things of this world. He said it then, I don't need Pharaoh, I don't need the Egyptians. We say it today, I don't need telephones, I don't need computers, I don't need TVs, I don't need drugs, I don't need pornography, I don't need sin, gambling, um, whatever it might be, whatever is tethering us to this world and away from God, we do not need it anymore. This rebellious reflection allows us to remember that we are free to rest in God. That He is God, right? And He is enough. And I think that's what God wants us to do, is not only remember what He did, but remember what He continues to do in our lives every day. And with that comes the final tier I'm going to talk about, and that is the idea of promise. Promise of rest. Jesus says in uh, Matthew 11, Come to me, all, uh, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not going to mansplain. I, I, I apologize if I do, but this is a yoke, okay? This is a representation. A yoke was a tool that say farmers would use when they would have oxen or cattle or whatever they would use to, to, to um, plow their fields or take something somewhere. They'd put this yoke on the back of the cattle's necks and this hole over here would be for one head and neck and this one would be for another. So these two would be bound together and the yoke rep uh, represented the burden, the tether that they were tethered to that made them pull, whether it was a plow or some sort of cart, whatever it might be, it was usually a significant burden that they could that had to bear together. And Jesus says, not only will I bear that burden, but I'm gonna, I want you to be there with me. I'm going to take it all, but I want you to be there with me. 
I'm going to go to my Tony Stark impersonation one more time and say, Jarvis, take it away. Good work. All right. The promise that God kind of buried, that Jesus buries in here is that I will give you rest. You will find rest. It's not a question, guys. It's a promise. It's a statement of fact. You will get this from me. If you just simply believe and accept, I'm going to give you rest. It will be yours. I will take it all. Right? And not only does he say that's going to happen now, it's going to happen in the future as well. Forever. In Hebrews, uh, the author goes on to talk about promise. And he says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you have been found, uh, none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And just the two verses later says, now we who have believed enter that rest. There's something coming that is far greater than anything we've ever known. I do not know what it looks like. I've read the book of Revelations. I've read the Bible cover to cover. I can't tell you what heaven looks like, but I know one thing. It is going to be a time when we are standing in the presence of God, and that's all that we need. I don't know what else is going to be there. I'm hoping for things like calorie-free cake and all that good stuff, but it's going to be something fantastic, something that I can rest in for all of eternity. And I know that we will no longer be tethered to the world. If we can go to the next slide. Whatever that comes, whatever heaven looks like, that rest will provide an overcoming of our fears, an overcoming of everything in this world that keeps us away from God. A time when we can just stand and be in, his, in awe of Him and just be. Get rid of all the things that burden us, all the, 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 the masks that we wear, and all the things that we need to keep going, all the balls we're juggling uh, uh, every day. And we can just put that aside and rest in Him. Because He is God, and I'm not. And that is just a restful statement right there if you think about it. That I can just sit there and enjoy God and be in His presence. Alright, so I know you're thinking, man, that's a lot to take in. Multiple tiers, all that kind of stuff. It's very analytical. But how do we do this? How do we put this into practice, right? Let me make a few suggestions here. First thing I think we need to do for Sabbath is to have some degree of intentionality. God has commanded 24 hours of rest. That's another big ask, right? In, in today's uh, world, 24 hours is a, a lot of time. But he has asked us for this. But I think there's some things we can do to make this 24 hours not necessarily um, a burden. We don't want it to be a burden. We want it to be something to look forward to. And I would recommend maybe changing our mindsets a little bit. We have 52 opportunities to have Christmas. Right? How about that? This is my daughter, Emmy. Uh, this is, she's a little bit younger in these pictures. Emmy knows how to celebrate Christmas. There is no one who celebrates Christmas. I'm sorry, Mark. I know we don't talk about Christmas, but Emmy knows how to celebrate Christmas, okay? And the thing is, she doesn't even care about the presents. Well, I shouldn't say she doesn't care. The presents are the least important thing because the presents and all that kind of stuff marks the end. She loves everything leading up to that, right? You can just find her in our little living room where we've decorated. She's just sitting there enjoying the lights or like, you know, reading those Christmas books or listening to Christmas music. That is her joy. And I think we need to have that mentality when it comes to, um, to Sabbath. We need to have an anticipation that, hey, we need to do something at the end of the week that is phenomenal. We get to spend 24 hours with God. We get to rest in Him. 
And maybe it takes a little bit of preparation. You know, maybe you need to move some things around. Maybe I need to do something that I normally would do on Saturday or Sunday. Maybe I'm going to put that in the middle of the week. Yeah, maybe that's the case. But that's the intentionality we need to go into it with. Okay? It's a dedicated time. Now, I think there's something else we need to bear in mind when it comes to using Sabbath. We can go to the next slide. We need to know how do we Sabbath? What do we do in that time? Because 24 hours is a long time, right? I think we need to do we need to do a few things. Focus on God is the one thing we need to do because He's going to provide that rest. Everything we talked about, He's going to provide. But we do need to rest. We need to, do need to take a break. So I would, and I think the way the way we need to take a break and fill that time with God is we need to be joyful, joyful. There's a reason why we tag that tag that on to the end of that song. First of all, I think it's awesome, right? And Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, Phil Wickham, put them together, man. That's fantastic. But we need to come with that attitude of joy. It's not a somber time, guys. It's a time to be delightfully worshipful and to rest. So if, if I were to give you any rules when it comes to the Sabbath, uh, let me give you three filters. Not rules, but three filters. If you're going to Sabbath and you take 24 hours to do it, ask yourself this. Is what I'm doing restful? Is what I'm doing grateful? And is what I'm doing worshipful? If that's the case, if you can answer yes to those questions, that's great. You're spending time with God, and that's what He wants. For us to be closer to Him, to spend time with Him, to rest in Him and all that He has done. Is it restful? Is it grateful? And is it worshipful? Now, let me say this. God is God of grace as well. And there's going to be times over the next year, if you put this into practice, where it's not going to go the way you think, right? It just it, things happen. So remember, have a little bit of grace as you as you Sabbath. Ease into it. We talk about twenty four hours. I think it's important to have twenty four hours, but that doesn't mean that we can't kind of ease into it. We're not used to spending twenty four hours with God. It doesn't mean jump into deep, the deep end of the pool if you can't. You want to wait a little bit. God's going to take that. He's going to glorify that. So give yourself a little grace with that. Also remember that there's going to be setbacks. You will probably fall back into a routine of maybe not doing it one week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever it might be. Give yourself some grace. It's going to happen. Okay? Um, and like I said, 52 opportunities. We get multiple opportunities a year to, to, to do it over again. So give yourself a little grace with that as well. I do want to say, and I did want to focus on this, but there are ways that we should probably think about not sabotaging. I don't want to focus too much on this, but let me just give you some recommendations because it's been a stumbling block throughout history. And that is, don't worry about the days that you are celebrating. If it's 5.30 on Friday to 5.30 on Saturday evening, or all of Sunday, I don't think God cares. I really don't. He wants your heart. He wants you to give up your, kind of your first fruits of the week kind of thing. So whatever that day might be, if it's Monday at 2.37 p.m. until Tuesday at 2.37 p.m., great. God loves it. He's going to take that. Don't be legalistic about what you do. When you put it through the filters we talked about, don't worry about what's going on and what you're doing during it. Okay? Don't be legalistic about it. And don't feel like this is an obligation. God loves a cheerful giver, and I think when we bring that joyful, delightful worship to him, he's going to glorify that. But don't be, uh, uh, be obligatory about it. Okay? Confess that to God. And lastly, don't ignore it. 
If you walk out of here with anything I've said today, don't ignore the fact that there is a Sabbath and God wants the best for you. He wants you to enjoy this. Next slide. I'm going to invite the band to come up uh, while I'm talking here, too. I actually uh, was convicted as I was putting this talk together because I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, man, I don't do a lot of that. How is this going to look for me and my family? And my family's sitting back there, and this is the first time they're hearing it, so I'm making sure they're thinking, no, I wonder what it's going to look like for us, too. I don't know. I, you know, I think this is a conversation we need to have with our families and with our friends and the people that we Sabbath. But I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to Thelma and Louise this thing real good, okay? This is a picture from that movie. If you've ever seen that movie, don't spoil the end for anyone. But near the end, Thelma and Louise, they see the police behind them, and they don't know what they're doing. And they're caught in the middle of the desert area, and they just look at each other. And they put their hands together, and they say, hey, you know what? I know what that life was like. I'm not going back to that life. And I know what's ahead of me. I don't know what's ahead of me, but I, I'm excited to explore that. So let's just drive off, okay? Let's just hold hands and drive off. And I would recommend the same for when it comes to, to, to Sabbath and rest because God has something amazing in store for you. The life that is behind you is just that. It's behind you. The life in front of you is a celebration of the life of worship of God. Because Sabbath is CPR for the souls. You can go to the next slide, actually. Real quick. It's CPR for our souls. It keeps us alive. We're going to take this opportunity to uh, take the elements. So uh, the band's going to play. And when you're ready, come on up and, and grab the elements. And, and uh, just reflect on, on what Sabbath means to you, on how, what rest means to you, and how you can draw closer to God with that. And when, uh, hey, thanks for joining us this morning for our online sermon. We love the opportunity to connect with you. We would enjoy meeting you in person, but you can also fill out a connection card that you can find online. If you have anything that we can pray for you, we can rejoice with you, please reach out to our prayer team. There's an email listed below. We will get back with you. We will pray with you. We want to support you and celebrate with you. If you have any questions or want to know what's going on with Newbridge, how you can get involved and stay connected, check us out on social media, download the program notes that are found here, or again, reach out to us at our office. We will um, connect with you, answer any questions, meet up and support you, again, wherever you're at in this crazy, beautiful thing we call life.